0: Alright, Moon's not with us today. Moon had to work today. So, you're stuck with me as far as somebody delivering the message. We're in the book of Philippians. So if you want to turn there. um, Philippians chapter 1. This is a great book. Philippians. One of the questions that Philippians answers is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? When you go to buy a car... One of the questions on your mind is, is it worth it? In fact, just about every decision that you make, one of the things that you ask yourself, is it worth it? When you're choosing a new job or when you're choosing a career path, you ask yourself, is it worth it? Will this give me what I need? Will this bring me what I'm looking for? Is it worth it? And the book of Philippians answers that question. And we're going to talk about the answer to that question today. Is it worth it? And after we get that answer, we're also going to ask ourselves a question. What do I do now? Is it worth it? And what do I do as a consequence of that? the book the book of philippians is just full chock full of eternal truth paul says you know what after this life it's your best life later he doesn't actually use those words but he says my life in the next life is going to be fabulous and in fact the only reason i'm here is for you For me to live is Christ. And if I die, I gain. It's worth it, is what Paul says over and over again. He also gives us a peek into the future. tells about why Jesus came and says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Sam wonderfully alluded to the story that we're a part of. The story that we're a part of are people use Jesus' name as curse words. I mean, literally. You don't hear anybody hitting their thumb and saying, oh Muhammad. I'm just, have you ever heard anybody say that? No, that they literally use the true and living God and his son as a curse. They say his name in a curse. And again, I've said this before, but if I was God, that's not the way I would run things. I mean, and I don't mean that disrespectfully towards God in any way, but you know, they use his name as a curse. But the truth that we'll find in Philippians is that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus is is lord to the glory of god the father that's what's coming that's what's in your story i can't keep that in my mind sometimes i don't know if you're like me but i i get worried about things i look around And I say, yeah, people are using Jesus' name as a curse word. People are not only just living any way they want to live, there are people that surround them and create policies that approve the ways in which people live. They say, they say things like, you know, if it feels good, do it. Well, whatever you think truth should be is what truth is. Because you create your own truth. And I think, no. You don't create your own gravity. You don't create your own photosynthesis that does not follow logic to say whatever you believe is the truth. i get nervous about that kind of stuff but you know what that's not the stuff that really bothers me the stuff that really bothers me is the ways that i do it the ways that i forget who i am the ways that i forget what i should be about that's what causes me the most anxiety my own my own sin the things that i struggle with personally as an individual the thoughts that i have you know, actually it kind of distracts me from my own sin from time to time to say, oh, society's so bad and everything's going in the wrong direction. But really, the real problem that I have is my own sin, my own desires, the things that I want to do that, as Sam was talking about this morning, that are contrary to the truth. I get wrapped up in the decisions that I make. I don't know if any of you guys struggle with this, but I get I get wrapped up in rearing a family, rearing children. And I say, uh, they're going to make the wrong decision. They're going to make the wrong decision. They're going to make the wrong decision. I don't want them to make the wrong decision. I made all the wrong decisions, so you didn't have to make all the wrong decisions. I get worried about stuff like that. I think we worry about a lot of things. We worry about our jobs. Are our jobs secure? What about this business venture? I think if I sacrifice now and really try hard, maybe neglect some time with my family, but it'll be worth it in the end because I'll be able to make more money or I'll be in a better position in the, in the job market. I'll make this sacrifice. I think it's worth it. I hope it's worth it. And that anxiety about that decision pours in. I don't know what everybody's anxiety is in this room. I don't know what makes you angry. When you want something, or you feel entitled to something, and you don't get it, your heart can become angry really quick. My boss should have insert whatever. My wife should respond to me in this way. My parents should treat me Like this. This is not fair. This is not going to work out good. I'm angry that my life didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. I'm angry that I have these feelings inside of me. And somebody tells me that's wrong to have these feelings. I don't know if you've turned, I don't know if you've looked around but this world is not right. There's so much beauty in this world. I love to see a creek and a fire, smell the fire. I love to see a newborn baby sleeping. I love some of the beautiful things in this world, but there's some things that are really wrong. You know, people really get treated badly. They really get oppressed by other people. They really do have things taken from them unfairly. In southern West Virginia, it's no secret that outside interests have come in and taken away our richest resource, leaving us mostly penniless. In West Virginia, we've been oppressed by people. It's not fair. So what do we do with all this? Well, I wouldn't have talked about the anxiety. I wouldn't have talked about the anger. I wouldn't talk about the fear unless I was positive I had a solution, and I've got a solution. It's not mine. Not something that I came up with. It's something that happened. Something that Paul told us very clearly in First Corinthians or in Philippians chapter one. Read with me. I'm going to go ahead and read the verses that, that uh, we read last week. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because I hold you all in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, please sear Your words into our hearts. Make what You're trying to communicate to us clear from this passage today. And may You in all Your infinite wisdom apply it to each and every situation with Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for for moving among us. Amen. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this. This is the apostle Paul, a man who wrote most of the New Testament, a man who went around planting churches everywhere, writing a church, writing a church that has leadership, Writing a church that has problems. Writing a church that that has the Philippian jailer in it. Probably maybe Tabitha is there. Lydia. Um, different people who made themselves a part of the church at Philippi. You've got Jews. You got Greeks. Probably have in a big city like that. People from other countries. Different cultures that are trying to sort out things. We've just put two congregations together here, and um, what's really odd about that is most of us are from southern West Virginia. Most of us were reared in southern West Virginia. Most of us think about the same. We're actually pretty close already. We're not dealing with anything like people... Who are living in Philippi are living with, and you know that we struggle even here. We say, "Well, I, I don't, I don't like the the way this music is, or I don't like the way that music is, or I don't like the way we do this, or we don't do that," and and we create tension, we break up unity in this small congregation where most of us pretty much think about the same think the same. This is a, a community. That is, you know, a worldwide community trying to figure out how that you make it, how you make all this work together. There's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of things that, that people don't agree on. But you know what, you know what Paul says in this first chapter? He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will Be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. The ESV says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the, bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And you know what that means? That means for Steve Kemper, that God is working in his life and God has taken the responsibility to complete Steve Kemper. God's taking that responsibility. He's taking the responsibility with Diana Hare. He is going to be faithful to see her life through to completion. I don't know about you. That makes me relax when I realize that. Because I got a lot of problems. I got a lot of ways where I'm not thinking the truth about life i got a lot of things that I'm selfish about for a complete list. You can see my wife after the meeting. Um, there, there, There are things that I'm angry about. There are things that I'm anxious about. But you know what? If I really get a hold of that one verse, the one thing in this passage that Paul says, I'm sure about this. I'm sure that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know how hard it is to struggle. I don't know what you're angry about. I don't know how hard it is to be angry. Angry. How hard it is to get rid of that anger in your life. But let me just say this. God. Has said that he will be faithful to bring it to completion. He will be faithful to complete it. Not this psychotherapy, not this church program, not this Amway product, but Jesus Christ will be faithful to, com- God will be faithful to complete this until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that makes me relax a little bit. Not completely. Let me just be honest. I'm still worried about stuff. But if we really take hold of that verse and say that the responsibility is on Christ to complete that. The responsibility is not all on us to choose our career path responsibility is not on all all on us to make our marriage relationship work or to say exactly the right thing at the right time to our children or to involve them in exactly the right education at the right time in their life or to make sure we send out our resume to the right person at the right time that stuff Jesus Christ says he is going to bring our lives to completion. That's pretty big. There's a child born this week also that whose parents had a proclivity for giving him lots of names. Let's see, George Alexander Lewis. Do you know that this man... Even though he doesn't know the difference between his right hand and his left hand, he's going to be King of England. That's a big deal. I mean, he didn't have to apply for this job. I'm just saying. He didn't have to, he didn't have to do anything except just be born. And all of a sudden he is the third heir to the throne of his grandmother. He's in. I mean, he's in. Would that be cool or what? To be like, I'm the king of England. Bring me my porridge. I am the king of England. Somebody told me that he'd already got the royal wave down. I don't know. I didn't see that clip. but I mean, this guy has all the advantages. I don't know about you, but my parents took me to Buffalo Creek in a holler. And we went to Copley's to buy our milk. Um, not exactly in ostation. Austas- uh, Ost- uh, ostentatious way of doing things. Yeah, the, that's why I was born on Buffalo Creek. I bet you George will know that word. What, what what's really what's really neat about that whole thing, and maybe not so neat about my life story, is that he has to do exactly nothing. To become King of England. He's got to show up where they want him to show up. Wave when he wants him to wave. Give a blessing to who he wants to get a blessing. He'll probably have servants. And a valet to follow him around and dress him. I don't know. You know? That would be really cool. I could do that in the morning. and have somebody like rush the obvious lint that was might be on there. I could do this. Pick me next time. For those of you who are worried about becoming a millionaire, I've, I've done some research on this because I've been worried about it. Um, the best way to become a millionaire is to have a grandfather who was a millionaire. Most of you guys are out on that one. Me too. The cool thing about this story about um, His Highness Prince George is that he doesn't have to do anything. But now that you know that you don't have to do anything, what are you going to do? You don't have to go long in England's history to find even a George that didn't listen that didn't care for the needs of his people that he served. You don't have to go very far for a ki- to figure out a king who wastes his life in riotous living or who does whatever he wants to do, doesn't follow the royal family's recommendations about who they marry or who they stay with, really. You not have to go very far. So, King George is going to be the heir. He is going to be king. But we don't know if he's going to be a good one or not. We don't know if he's going to help England's people. We don't know if he's going to actually do anything that, that really helps the world. He'll probably still have somebody to help dress him in the morning, whether he's good or bad. Why am I babbling on about that? It's because it's you. It's each of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He's promised to bring that to completion. It's done. You're an heir. It's already accomplished. No no matter what you do, you know what? You can be lazy and be an heir. You can you can um not show up for work and be an heir. You can instead of ministering grace to children, you can be rude, obnoxious and mean. Same with your wife, same with your boss. You know what? You can show up and do a halfway good job at work. You're still an heir. <laughs> You're an heir. Woohoo. It brings me great comfort to know that no matter what, I'm an heir. But I think the second thing it should do is motivate us to be different, to be a different person. If King George is to help the people of England and all its, um, all, all the, the provinces that are under his, uh, care, He's going to have to do something. He needs to go to classes. He needs to figure out which fork to eat with. He needs to, whatever the party or family line is, he probably needs to tow it and only stray from that when it's absolutely necessary or meets the needs of the people. We're in the same, we're in the same situation. You are an heir of Christ. What are you going to do with it? I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Paul's you know I don't know if you if you've read Philippians chapter 1 over and over again but every time I read it I mean it is dripping with affection. This apostle to the church loves these people. He just loves them. He sees them as he sees them as um Partners is one of the words he uses. Then he calls them partakers of grace. That they're in a joint partnership, but it's more than a partnership. They're both getting the same grace. He says down in the passage, He loves these people. He has an affection for these people. So what does He do? How does He pray? What does He want for these people that He loves so much? with the affection of Christ. And on a sideline, what will you do if you love these people with the affection of Christ? What will you do if you love your wife or your husband or your children with the affection of Christ? What will you do with that coworker if you love them with the affection of Christ? What will you be looking for in their life? It's in this passage. Because I lay hold of you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. And you know what? That's one of the things that I think is important for us to realize about each other, for us to realize about our children, for us to realize about the people at work. If they're a believer, they're a partaker with you of the same grace. Paul says this other, Paul says that very clearly about husbands and wives later on. Actually, I think that was Peter that said that. Partakers of the same grace. You know, I'm the heir. I am the heir. But Sarah's the heir too. Do you realize that? Daniel's the heir. You're around a bunch of heiress people. That would be past tense, I'm sorry. You are around people who are heirs. How do you treat somebody that's an heir? Not just what about me, but what about them? Let me tell you, Paul loved them. He loved them. He says he held them in his heart, realizing that they are partakers of the same grace he talks about the way they ministered to him in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel his pain brought growth to the church and let me just say something as a sideline here the pain that you're going through in your life might be the only way to reach somebody else with the beautifulness of the Gospel. And if you waste that opportunity, it'll be wasted. Now, it's going to come to completion, but you have a unique ability and responsibility to use whatever pain God's brought into your life or allowed into your life. Paul had imprisonment brought into his life. Paul had had to defend and confirm the Gospel. And that did something for the the Philippians. He goes on to say, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What's his prayer? What do you tell an heir about their lives? What are they going to begin to tell His Highness? Wouldn't that be hard to tell your, call your kid that? Anyway, I don't know if they have to do that like in the house or not. His Highness will come to dinner. I feel like sometimes my smaller children have thought that about themselves. But anyway, um, what what is the prayer for a, an heir? It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. We've stressed it over and over again as we started um, moving together for unity with Providence Bible Church. You know what's going to distinguish us? It's love. Do you know where you get that? Not at Walmart. You get love from God. And if you get love from God, then you'll have love from God to share with other people. God's, Paul's prayer for his joint heirs is that your love would abound more and more. He goes on to describe that, and he goes on to describe that for a specific reason. You know, when you're reading, when you're reading the Bible or reading anything, when you get a "so that" in there, what does that mean? When when the Bible says "so that." All this stuff I've been saying, so that. So if you, if you're, you know, if you're trying to study the Bible and figure out what it means, look for those so that. Why is all this happening so that? So let's look at this passage and see if we can find a so that. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge, information maybe, discernment, the ability to choose between right and wrong, let me tell you something, right and wrong is pretty easy when you're talking about you know s- stealing your coworkers $20 that he left on the table. It's pretty clear what's right and wrong there. But I'm going to tell you it gets a lot diceier than that in our world, in the teaching of this world makes it even more dicey and more confusing. I have people on a regular basis regular basis, so regular it's not even worth telling, um, but, you know, a regular basis say something as ridiculous as, you know, I really feel like that God wants me to be happy and God wants me to be with this secretary or be with this other woman because, you know, she really makes me happy. Now, I'm not kidding you. I would be afraid to invoke God's name in all that, but people aren't. Every week they say, well, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. And I agree with you if you listen this morning that God does want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to do something that's obviously wrong in order to be happy. Something that He's clearly said is wrong. I don't care how much hoogity-poogity you feel inside your soul. Discernment. Discernment is something that you need to live in this world. Love with all knowledge and discernment. That's what I've been telling you about right here. Here it comes. So that... So that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So that you may approve what is excellent. Let me tell you something. Babies don't know what's good. King, will be King George does not know what's good. He's got to learn it. You need love with knowledge and discernment to be able to approve what is excellent. I mean, if you want to have the best life possible, I want you to have that. But you need love with knowledge and discernment so that you can approve what is excellent. So you can say, this is good. You know, just because somebody says this is good, you know, doesn't mean it's good. How many of you have been on a car lot I'm really giving those guys a hard time this morning, aren't I? How many of you been on a car lot? The guy says, this is a good vehicle. It's really worth double what I'm charging you. But let me go talk to my manager. He needs, what, what that translation is, that I need a cigarette. But, you know, he, he goes and disappears for a little while, comes back and says, okay, I got this deal for you. I don't, I can't believe the manager's letting me do this. But I'm actually going to be able to give this to you for 50 less dollars. This is a good vehicle. You know, don't just walk away, leave, run, get in your vehicle, go to a different car lot, right? Because the, what that person is approving isn't excellent. We can do the same thing with our lives. The way we live our lives, we approve what's excellent. doesn't mean our, our, the way we approve it is the best. I want you to live your life, Maria, in such a way as that when people look at you and they say, wow, she approved what was excellent. That was really good. I would like to do that. Because you draw people into your decisions. Whether you're trying to or not, you draw people in. And Paul, who loved these people, wanted that approval of what is excellent to come from love, knowledge, and discernment. He didn't want you to just go, I approve, I'm going to choose this husband. He doesn't want you to do it that way. He wants you to have love and knowledge and discernment so that you can approve what is excellent and be and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the play, praise and glory to glory and praise of god now let me just tell you something real quick god's not saying hey that cadillac over there is the best vehicle on this lot it's really the best vehicle on the lot when, when you know as a as a teenager maybe especially i struggled with the ideas of following my parents rules or following what god wants or i know he said that but he wants me to be happy and you know, there was some confusion in my mind about, you know, did my parents or did the Bible, did God really want the best for me? Let me just tell you, God wants the best for you. He's not, God's not like, yeah, it's a pretty good car. Let me talk to my manager. He's not trying to, he's not trying to hoodoo you. If he's given you clear commands in scriptures, they're there for a reason. And we're full of a generation that just says, well, I think what he meant was that really applied to the culture that he was in and it didn't really mean anything now. And we explain away verse after verse after verse because we don't want to believe the clear truth of Scripture. But let me just tell you, the clear truth of Scripture is that Cadillac. It's not the the the, the sleazy maverick that you have to wear a leopard print to drive. I mean, it's, it's not. It's the best. The life that God wants for you is the best. Is it filled with pain? Yes. It is filled with pain. But it's the best for you. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. In, for the day of Christ. Now listen to this. I, I just got to read this to you, and make, I got to make you stop and think about this for a second because this is important. Like every word is inspired, kind of thing. It's all in there. It's like ragu. It's in there. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. Fruit of righteousness. When you get. Righteousness, it's a fruit. It's a fruit that comes from a tree that you plant a seed of righteousness and you're more peaceful if you're more righteous. So you, Hebrews talks about having a, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by discipline. Let me tell you something. It's hard. You know, one of the things that I see very, very disturbing to me with, with children these days in our culture is, you know, we can't throw a ball or we can't pick up a load of wood and move it across the yard, but we can do a double back handspring, dodge, flip over, shoot with the metallic force back on video game. We have no real practical experience With life, because we lose ourselves in video games, that disturbs me. I worry about kids that are doing that. I really worry because I know that picking up wood and throwing it in a fire or moving rocks is good for you. It's good for your body. It makes you strong. It makes your mind strong to be like, I do not want to carry another rock. I do not want to carry another rock. It makes you strong as an individual to do things that are hard. To do things that are difficult. It makes you strong. I'm not telling you that because video games aren't interesting. But the discipline of your body helps you. Paul's not saying this to you because He just wants you to be some kind of weird cultish figure going around drinking the Kool-Aid. He really wants you to approve what is excellent. He really wants you to have the best life that you possibly can. He really wants you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness and to enjoy that fruit that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, when you live your life to the fullest, it results in the glory of God. God will be glorified. I mean, go back to the verse. You know, I'm sure of this, that whatever happens, Jesus Christ is faithful to bring these things to your life. So relax a little bit. Maybe you're being a little bit too tense. That's true. That's absolutely the truth. And that's what I, if I could get you something you to walk away with from today, reading these verses, walk away with that. You're the heir. You can do whatever you want to do. You really can. If you're a believer, you're going to have the joint heirship with Christ. But you know what would be even better is if you had a pure, blameless life. That people could see. Don't get too hang hung up on it. Are, are you going to make mistakes? Yes. Are you going to make the wrong decision? Yes. Are you going to marry the wrong person? Yeah. If you're married, then you married the wrong person. I'm just saying. You know. Th- th- sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna be living this one down for a while. But, you know, answer that question for yourself. They're the wrong person. They're not the perfect person to meet all your needs. It's not gonna happen. They're not out there. If you're married, you married the wrong person. It's not about going back and revisiting that decision. I, I don't know how many people spend hours of time explaining to me how they did, how they felt when they were walking down the aisle, how they felt, blah, 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 blah. And I have a lot of pity for them. I not like it right now because I'm trying to talk fast. I do have a lot of pity for people who did marry somebody that they probably shouldn't have married. But you're married. Work it out. If you can't work it out, get somebody to help you. Work it out. It's important. It's true. I'm sure this, that you began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But my prayer for you is that you, your love will abound more and more and more. And that you'll be filled with knowledge and discernment so that you can approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. So you're the heir. But be the best heir you can be. You know? And don't get too worried about that because really it's it's God's responsibility. But love people so that you can approve what's excellent. Seek unity in your family. Seek unity in this church. Seek unity among Christians that may have church of God on their name. You know what I'm saying? Seek unity in southern West Virginia. We're we're in this together. And we're joint heirs. Father, burn this message, your message, not necessarily mine, but your message deep on our hearts. May we be pure and blameless. May we approve what is excellent. May we at Providence Bible Church be so filled with Your love that we have the fruit of righteousness on the day of Christ Jesus. But most of all, Father, may we just relish. May we just be just pleased and and elated with the idea that You've chosen us. That You, in Your infinite wisdom, have made Us heirs with Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. Your good Father. All praise to the Father. Amen.